0: Thank you. You can be seated. Thanks, worship team. Well, good morning. My name's Dell. For those of you who don't know me, and uh, I'm one of I'm on the teaching team here. Um, Got a call yesterday from Dan uh, to say that Melissa has COVID, um, and he said, "What are you doing tomorrow?" (laughs) So, um, so, um, really glad to be with you. We need to stop and pray for for Melissa and others in our church um, family here that are that that need a touch of healing. Um, Before we do that, though, I want to. bring into focus here an opportunity we have as a church family to come alongside Afghan refugees. Like We're all pretty aware of uh, the disruption, um, some of the horrors that are going on there uh, in the country, and a lot of displaced people, some that need to get out, some that have gotten out. <clears throat> um, and mission partners all over the world are rallying to this need. We are fortunate because we have one of our very own missionaries, Hannah Shanin, who, uh, who has spoken here, I think, on several occasions um, Middle Eastern gentleman with a ministry. Uh, his ministry is called Endure International. He actually has a passion to help Christians in Middle Eastern places um, stay. Like he's not actually he's not actually wanting Christians to leave hard context. Um, however, Afghanistan right now is um, is a death warrant for a lot of folks. So they we're jumping in to help. Um, and I know a lot of us have watched the news and we're like, hey, what do we do? You know, how do you how do you be a part of the solution, not just the just the horror of it, um, through our empathy and through our giving. Well, uh, this is pretty cool because we've got a chance over the next few weeks to take some offerings that will go directly to this need. So um, we can sponsor teams that are actually traveling, I, I would guess at great risk to themselves, into the country to get people out. So I think $5,000 would sponsor a, a team in and out. Um, and then for those that they get out, um, there's about a six-month displacement resettlement kind of plan that $300 a month would sponsor a displaced family from Afghan for six months. So they're looking for $1,800 kind of commitments um, to do that. Or if you say, well, I can't do 5,000 or 300, but I want to give, you could, we could pull our money is the idea I'd like to, to do this. So if you, um, if, you want to, if you want to get involved in this, this won't be the last time you hear about it, but you can actually go to the church website and under the giving stuff, there's a um, drop-down link where you could give specifically to this. Or if you want to give through our normal offerings, we don't pass plates here, but if you want to give in the back, in the boxes, uh, you could designate offerings to this project. Okay? Would you take a minute uh, to pray with me for Melissa, for others that are going to come to your mind in our, in our uh, church family and community and then also for the Afghans. <clears throat> so we take a minute, Lord, we've been ushered into these great reminders of your kindness, of your presence, of your power, of your activity uh, in song. So we're mindful that you are present right now, that you're that you're aware of us, we're aware of you. Um, and so we make our prayers in that context, asking you earnestly to, uh, to help people all over the world who are suffering. We think particularly of Afghan Christians right now who because of the regime change, many of them under direct uh, threat of persecution and execution. Um, We do ask uh, that the teams of people working for their good would be effective, um, that we could even help here with uh, Hannah and his group uh, to get some folks out of there, but also the ones that have come out to be resettled well. So this this is our prayer in your name for them. And then we also pray for Melissa, she would heal. Um, I know there's a lot of kids in that household you protect. Um, and then we think for a moment of others in our community who need your healing touch, <clears throat> physically, emotionally, spiritually. We just take a minute to bring our intentions before you, to lift them in your, to your face, to ask that you do them good. Let us be a part of the answer to these prayers. Every way that we can be, um, we take a minute now to also commit this time of teaching in the Word, that it would work, uh, not just to our knowledge, but to our transformation. Uh, we believe in the Holy Spirit. Um, thank you for thank you for that. Thank you for your presence there by the Holy Spirit and your power. Um, and we open to you now, in Jesus' name, Amen. Now we've been in a series um, in First Peter. Uh, called Faith No Matter What. Now, the context of First Peter is written to a group of people, new Christians in the Roman Empire, who were experiencing the first wave of concentrated persecution. So if you remember from your history books, uh, Emperor Nero, he was a little, some say he was a little off his rocker. He was certainly, he was certainly up there with as maniacal and as evil and as oppressive a leader as world, the world history has given us. Um, there was a great fire in Rome, which was creating a lot of political pressure on him, and so he was scapegoating Christians. So he's like, basically, the reason that this fire happened and all these people died is because of these Christians, you know, so he just, it was, a, it was slightly political, um, but it was also uh, demonic, and it was just, it was intense. So, so this book is written um, by the Apostle Peter, who, would, who was eventually killed in this persecution, but before he died, he wrote this letter um, to address people's faith. And so he's saying, hey, your faith um, your faith is a living thing. It's not just a concept. It's, it's wrapped up in Jesus who is resurrected from the dead, who has overcome sin and death. He lives in you by the Holy Spirit. Your faith is dynamic. And what that means is that it's not only for good times, it's also for when circumstances are awful, that it's possible that faith actually can survive but, but also thrive actually, no matter what the external circumstances, which is, you know, it's a, pretty, it's a pretty substantive message. It's a message of hope, but it's also a message that goes, huh, makes us go, how? Like, how is that possible for faith to actually endure and actually increase, strengthen, even in the midst of difficulty? So This is what this letter is about, and we've been, we've been working our way through it. We're in the second chapter, um, you know, of it go back a slide here. Here's the question that we are asking this morning of the text. How can my faith thrive? How can my faith thrive, not just survive? And what I want to bring to your attention here uh, in the second chapter of Peter, we're going to be looking at verses one through three, um, is is the fact that God's intention, his goal, is more than just that our faith survive hardships. We are not simply holding on by the, by the fingernails um, till we get to a better place. The Christian vision is more than that. I want to show you this in a second. That it's much more than this and that our faith can actually thrive, not just survive, even under difficulties. Now, faith faith is related to resilience. So, in other words, part of the overflow of our faith is that it develops in us capacity. Not only to endure hardships, not only to go through difficulties, but also to to recover from difficulty. So I wouldn't put an equal sign here if I was doing this again. Faith isn't resiliency. But faith produces, one of the overflows of faith uh, is the production of resilience, capacity to metabolize difficulty and turn it into strength. So think about the human body for a second. The way you build muscles is how? You actually stress them, right, in some way? You stress muscles. The body has capacity to turn stress into strength. And in the same way, you are wired with Jesus and life with him to metabolize stress and difficulty and to turn it into resilience. Okay, an overcoming, an overcoming joy, joy that is not, not, is not equal to your circumstances, but that is more than. Okay, now I want to show you this from the text, First Peter 2, verses 1 to 3. If you have your Bible, why don't you open it to 1 Peter chapter 2. If you prefer um, your phone, that will work also. Okay, now let me read verses 1 through 3. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to God's chosen people. Sorry, that was chapter (laughs) 1. Okay, since I started in chapter 1, let me give you context. Peter basically writes these folks, says to them, listen, do you have any idea who you have been connected to as you have put your faith in Jesus? It is the living God of heaven and earth who made everything with his spoken word and who has put his life not only in the presence of his Son, Jesus, who walked among you, but was risen from the dead by the power of God and is now outpoured by the Holy Spirit so that now this living God and his power takes up residence in the hearts of ordinary people like you and me. You have the life of God in your soul. This is chapter 1. Secondly, you have no idea the scope of his intentions, which is not only to help you in this life, but in the life that is to come, the, the, the life that lasts forever, or literally eternal life. Eternal life, life that begins now and in God, lasts forever. The reason that this life lasts forever is that it is not a commodity. It is God himself who, whose word endures forever. He is the living word who, who endures forever, who, who never ends And so while the flowers of the field and the grass, you know, and all the things may fade, this God who lasts forever and whom you have been connected to, who resides in you and who has made you his child, right, has made you eternal. So that anything that you're going to say about yourself and your identity and your future has to be connected in a way where where you also say the word God. And so that you could say of yourself, that you are also eternal, that you also have a hope that never fades. This is chapter one, right? So then, we get to chapter two, which I am going to read, (laughs) okay? In light of this, get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Now, if you're the kind of person who writes in your Bible or take notes, I want you to circle full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. Now, what I want you to notice is that the goal of God for you and for your faith is that you will grow into a full experience of your salvation. Do you see that in the text? The goal of God in your faith development and in your life is that you will grow into a full experience of your salvation. Now, This is where I get the question, is it possible or how can your faith thrive? Okay, not just survive, even under difficulty. And we're going to park in these three verses to look, because I think we get a lot, about the answer to that question. Now, a full experience of salvation means several things. Number one, a full experience means to the max. Do you remember Jesus actually saying this in the Gospel of John? My purpose, like the whole reason I've come, is to give you a rich and satisfying life, or some translations say abundant life. So Jesus is saying here, my goal, the reason that I've come, is not simply to save you from your sin, from all the destruction that that brings but I've actually as the creator of life come to put the whole human project and anyone who will listen to me back on track so that you will live the kind of life that is actually abundant that is rich that is satisfying. In other words if you were to translate it into modern vernacular you would say Jesus has come to give you life to the max. So when we say the full experience of salvation, what we're referring to here is the intensity of the quality of it. That, that Jesus would help you in life with him to actually experience life as it was intended to be. Or you might say it this way, to make you in the fullness of what you were created to be. Now isn't that good? Because salvation is, sometimes gets reduced to this idea of something that is about not going to hell or going to heaven when you die. And it certainly encompasses life, eternal life encompasses what happens next. But the locus of what Jesus was actually teaching on was so much more than that. It was to give you the full experience of salvation, to give you abundant life. So, we're, so what we're talking about here is thriving, not just surviving, even under difficulty. It, we're talking about experience to the max. Secondly, if something is going to be a full experience, wouldn't you agree that it has to be in every part of your life? So again, again, we reduce salvation sometimes, not only to the afterlife, but then when we think about the scope of Jesus' intelligence, his wisdom, his interest, like what it is to be a Christian, sometimes we reduce that too and we start to think of our life in segments. So we have our vocational life and our career and like living in the real world. And then we have like the stuff that we're doing, like you know, maybe, maybe our um, after, you know, the, after work, you know, our, 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 our family life. Um, and then we come to church on Sunday for what? Kind of our spiritual life. Do You see how fragmented that is? And sometimes, sometimes we look to certain things like Jesus for like when we're in trouble or in crisis or metaphysical things. And then we look to everything else, every other part of our life, we've got to figure out some other way. Well part of, part of what 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 Peter's saying here is no listen the the abundant life the full experience of salvation that Jesus has come to bring is in every part of your life. Now look at this look at this text. First Thessalonians 5:23. Now may the God of peace make you holy in what way? Okay, that that doesn't sound very fragmented. That sounds like the full experience of salvation. And then it's like in, in case we get confused about that he 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 explains it. And may your whole what? Spirit. Spirit. And? And? Okay. Is there any other parts? Do you have another part? I mean, it's like the whole thing. It's every part. Be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Now, here's the cool thing. Isn't this an incredible vision? Like, the, the Lord of life, stopping at nothing to bring life to rescue people from less than life, to put them on track to full life in every part? Whoa! Whoa! Which means this. Being a Christian is way, way, way more than just not sinning. Like sometimes you look at the the vision thing and it's sort of like don't do bad things. Or it's all remedies for like all the all the stuff that you shouldn't be doing. And we start to think, well I'm really, you know, I wish I was a good Christian, but I do bad things, you know. The whole do you do you understand that not sinning is way too weak a vision to live for? Sin will ruin your life. Right? Sin will destroy it. It will zap it. It's short-term solutions to to long-term problems. It's weak answers to big questions. But the goal of God in your life is not simply to help you stop doing bad things. The goal of God is the full experience of salvation. Life to the max. Life in every part. The the church fathers said it like this, the glory of God, right, the glory of God, the brightness of God, is man fully alive. The glory of God is man, fully alive. Or you might say it like this. John, you know, modern guy, John Piper said it like this. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. See, the full experience of salvation is the goal of God with your faith, no matter what, when things are good on the outside or when they're bad. Like, like there's, a, there's a capacity in life with God. You've been connected to a life that is this big that even when you are being persecuted, like in First Peter, like man, the goal here is not just to survive; it's actually to thrive. Now, if we're going to think about our lives, body, soul, and spirit, I think it's helpful to think about the dimensions of our life. So, in other words, Jesus is interested in every part of you, and he's interested in—he's interested in body, soul, and spirit. Now, we're, we certainly are spiritual beings, so that's at the center. Okay, yeah, we're spiritual. But we're all, is it also true that we're physical? Like we live in a body? Now keep in mind, Jesus came and took on flesh, right? So he became a man. And when he died, he was resurrected as what? A man. Now he was a new kind of humanity, right? It was a restored humanity. It was the first fruits of what all of us are going to go through. But Jesus is as much man as he is God, or you could say it this way if you want to put something on precise. For the rest of eternity, God will have a what? He'll have a body. So does the body matter? The vision of the end of the, the, of the New Testament is not, is not simply discarding the earth. What happens to the earth? It gets made new. He remakes it. So this whole way of thinking that says, what matters is Eternal things and physical things don't matter, or the body doesn't matter, or the environment doesn't matter, or matter doesn't matter, is actually not Christian. It's dualism. Okay, that's on our topic. The thing that I want you to, to hear here is that your physical body matters to God, your emotions matter to God. It's part of your soul. And so when, when Jesus says he wants to redeem and integrate every part of you and give you life to the max in every part, he means your emotions. He means your emotional life. He wants to integrate it. He wants us to be regulated. He wants us to be who we were created to be. Does he care about your, your mind? Yeah, he cares about your cognitive, renew your mind. Does he care about your relationships? Yeah. So what it is to be a Christian is full experience of salvation to the max and in every way isn't that awesome okay but it also changes the way we think about this a little bit right which is what peter wants us to see so how how do we get the full experience of salvation through the ups and downs of life to the max and in every part you interested this is what this is what peter is talking about here now this is what he says in this text you can look at it verse one be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Now, say what you want to say about deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and unkind speech. Well, would you agree with me about this? They take a lot of energy. Right? I mean, when you're, when you're wrapped up in a, in a life that's consumed with deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and unkind speech, you are expending a lot of your time, a lot of your energy, at every level, sometimes your finances, okay, in things that cannot produce what we hope they will now why would a person be given over to deceit hypocrisy jealousy and unkind speech well because your heart was made for a rich and satisfying life you you were made for the full experience of salvation you have a longer inside of your body that longs for fullness and sometimes you don't know where to get it right Sometimes people, people if they, you think, well, if I re- they really knew who I was or if they, you know, they can't see me, even if, I, even if I showed them, and so I guess I, better, I guess I better trick them to get what I need. That would be hypocrisy and deceit. Or you think, well, this is not really fair. I deserve to have a full experience of salvation, and you've got it. You've got a satis- rich and satisfying life, or you've got more of the rich and satisfying life than I've got, and, and now, I, now I don't think that's right. I wish I had it too. Guess what that is? That's jealousy. Or someone comes and says, I'm not going to give you a rich and satisfying life. I'm going to give you a punch. And you say, well, no, I'm gonna, I'll show you who's going to get punched. You know what that is? Anger and unkindness, right? So the point of this here is, is he's saying, listen, when you've got the perspective of the fact that God is going to give you a rich and satisfying life and he's going to show you the way, guess what you don't need? You don't need hypocrisy, deceit, jealousy, or unkind speech. Like, that's, that's, that's a waste of your energy. It's so in other words, you could say it this way. It's not only sin or immoral, it's kind of dumb. Would you agree? Like, it's sort of like chasing the wind. It's sort of like going around in circles. It's sort of like spending your whole life on a ladder that's on the wrong wall, right? So it's more like this tone, not like, ugh, stop. You know, it's, it's more like, you don't need that. Like, no, you know, ready to stop? ready for another way? See? But the point is not stopping, it's on redirecting, which is what we get next. Cry out for the nourishment that's available to you in God. Now, here's the, here's the thing. I talk to people all the time as a counselor. They come to me and they go, you know, I say, why are you here? I say, well, it's this. And I can't stop. A lot of times it's like an appetite. It's appetites. You know, maybe their lust. You know, you know maybe, maybe their maybe they're physical appetites, like, for, you know, for, for mismanagement of food. Maybe it's their, <clears throat> maybe it's their emotions, like... The only way they know how to get get up in the morning is like you know maybe it's chemicals, and they're like so I say well what do you think the problem is well it's like my app I I don't know like it's just so strong. Well actually actually here's my here's I'm gonna I'm gonna turn this upside down on you for a second. I think your appetites are too weak, not actually too strong. Um, because the scripture says that we're to we are to actually proactively hunger and thirst after what? Righteousness. Okay, hunger and thirst after righteousness. So hunger, you were made for it. You were made, to long, you were made to crave and be satisfied in God. The problem isn't the appetite. The problem is what we're looking to to be satisfied. Like the, it's, like the, it's like a substitution. The problem is that we've substituted the, desi- the, the object of our desire into things that are created. They cannot, they cannot provide what we're trying to suck out of them. So, so C.S. Lewis says it this way. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. So here's here's my suggestion to you. If you're caught in a cycle of, of misdirected desire that is controlling your life, you will never ultimately be able to conquer that simply by trying not to do it. You have to find a greater source of satisfaction. Do you follow what I'm saying? Now, my wife was an addict, like so. She she can tell you about this sometime, but like this was her story. Like she actually found something better, and then she was able to let go. Now, sometimes you had you got to kill sin, you got to cut some stuff off, you got to break habits, you got to go cold turkey, you got to go through withdrawals. I'm not I'm not saying that there's no there's no active resistance, but do you see that there is no ultimate point? to go through the pain of what it is to let go of what is functionally satisfying us unless we believe that there is actually something that can. Do you follow what I'm saying? And the Christian story ultimately, gets, it gets told like this. Don't be a bad person. Stop sinning. Well, if you don't have the, if you don't have the story of glory, like, the, like God is the most pro-life being in the universe. Like he wants you to have a rich and satisfying life. Like he knows the way to life. And if there was a better way, Jesus, as the man of truth, would be the first to tell you. He's not playing hide and seek. He knows how life works. And so we actually need to stoke our appetites, not try to, but we need to, we need to direct them in the right places. And this is exactly what Peter says. He says, cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. You know what he's saying? saying like when you get a little bit of a taste of the real thing like when you, when you actually learn how to tap in just a little bit to how good it is in God like you are changed forever even when you still have the presence of many other obstacles and challenges and addictions because you know the difference between the real and the counterfeit and you're never going back like, it, like even when you go back there's something hollow and not satisfying. It's not the real thing. Do You follow what I'm saying? It's incredible. So, so now here's the hard thing. If you haven't gone very far into tasting the goodness of God, it's kind of like a trust fall, right? You have to be around people who have actually tasted it and you're like, what did you get in your drink? You know, I mean, like it's like, it's like, uh, and they say, well, life of God. I mean, it's like it'll blow your mind. And you're like, well, I don't know. Can it? Good question. See? You have to move, you have to make a decision with your will to take Jesus at his word that when he offers life, like he actually can deliver it. Because taste, you know, hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. And guess what? It's like a, like a um, discontented contentment. Like when you have it, You're like, ooh, I want more. I want to go farther up and farther in. See what I'm saying? It's just pulling you into God and into life. Now, making this practical just for a second. um, And I kind of botched this up the first service. uh, So I'm going to try to do better. Okay? Now, earlier in the talk, do you remember when when I told you about the five dimensions of the self? We're talking about every part of you. And I said, you're, I said you are, mm, I said you are relational. Oh yeah, you got the screen up there. Yeah, so you're relational. You are emotional. You are cognitive or intellectual. You are physical. And you are spiritual. I don't think I did it in the right order that was on your sheet. So do you have this handout? Oh, I didn't give you the handout. Darcy. Yeah. See, I'm botching it up again. So Darcy, would you help me with these? And Jeff, would you help me with these? I've got a handout for you that looks, can you go to the last slide again, the second to the last one? Um, it, looks, it looks like that, okay? That's why you're all looking at me like, what are you talking about? <laughs> okay, so just I'll give you a second. Um, do you know that if you know that the full experience is the, is the goal of God, then when you're talking to Jesus, and you're talking to his people about how it's going in your life, you can, actually, you can actually focus in on the different parts of yourself and have goals and expectations and wisdom that can come to bear on particular things. So you know what someone walks up to you and goes, How you doing? And you're like a middle-aged, you're like a middle-aged person. And you're like, oh my word, you have no idea how big that conversation, is, that question is. <laughs> Because I've got, like, so many plates spinning right now in my life, and so I'm just going to say fine. You know what I mean? Because it's like, and also it's not super helpful because it's like, am I fine? Like, I mean, some, you know, some of it's fine, some of it's not fine. Ugh. Um, well, this will help you with this, too. Okay? So let me show you. This is called a vector check. It's just one way of visualizing this. Okay. Everybody got their sheet? Okay, so I might say, I might say, um, I might say like, uh, Craig, how you doing? Craig would say like, well, in which part? I'd say, well, how you doing? You know, Jody seems like she's sitting pretty close this morning. You know, but how are you doing relationally? So Craig could think a little bit, right? Or if he was with himself, he could think a little bit. Like, how is it going relationally? Well, you know, and so he might say, now if you notice, this is sick on this end. this This is fit on this end. This is well in the middle. So this is a vector. It's going this way. And he might say, well, you know, Things are really good with Jody right now, but, you know, maybe he's got some other people in his life that it's not so good. So he'd say, like, um, I don't know, here, okay? And then I would say, do you feel, Craig, do you feel like you're making progress or not? Like, do you feel like you're, do you feel like it's getting better or worse? Okay, so like, so this, so like, take for example, this, say that, you say, how, how are you doing in your body? Well, I just ran a marathon in June. I didn't. That would be a lie. okay. But let's say, let's say that I ran a marathon in June or July and then I, that was my goal and I was just like, shoot, I just ran a marathon. And then, and then I don't do anything in my, you know, now I'm just like, my off days just turned into one giant off season. Okay? <laughs> but I'm still in the best shape I've ever been, in, right? Because I just ran a marathon. But you would say, which way are you going? Or You know, that way, right? Or you might say, You know, I'm not really doing well at all physically right now. But I recognized that last month. I saw my doctor, whatever, and I'm on a new diet, saying that I'm trying. It's hard as I'll get out, and uh, you know. But I'm doing, making a little progress. I'm starting to exercise. So even though I'm way down here, I might be going this way, right? So when you when you do the plotting on all these different areas, so again, for those of you didn't catch it, relational, emotional, cognitive, physical. You can you would you would plot yourself, but you would draw an arrow in which direction you were going. Now, here's what's also interesting. Craig, how's it going in the relationships? Well, you know, I'm kind of you know some things are going well, but I think I'm making progress. Well, tell me about the head. Tell me about the um. Tell me about the tailwinds that are kind of pushing you in that direction. Sounds like you're sounds like you're optimistic, even though you know not everything's good. What are some of the tailwinds? Like, what are some of the things that are giving you momentum? You know I'm saying? Or you could say, I think I'm doing okay. Oh, by the way, theoretically, with a vector, you could, be, you could be neutral, right? You could be like that. You could be static, hanging in space. Whatever, right? Theoretically. I could say, I could say, Craig, what are the, what's keeping you from having momentum? Now, when you answer that question, you're talking about what? tailwind? You're talking about headwinds. Like obstacles, things that things that are kind of standing in the way. Do you see? This is just one area. What if I went to your emotions? What if I went to your, what if I went to your like, what's going on in your mind? Like, see all the way down? Um, and it starts to give you an idea, like now, now, that would be pretty vulnerable, right? We'd have to trust each other pretty well before you probably tell me much. But what if you started this conversation with God? You know what I mean? And the point here, the point of this, the point of this is not, like someone came up and showed me their map earlier, which is fine, because I, I didn't say, I don't really, this is gonna change from day to day and season to season, all the time, it's dynamic. And also, the also, what's more important than where you are on the plot is whether you have trajectory. Like where you headed actually is a lot more important. Like, Like, this guy, That's in a free fall, and this guy that are coming up are gonna collide somewhere in here, and he's gonna keep on going. (laughs) I mean, that way. So it's more important that you have the conversation and the plan. Does that make sense to you? So I hope this is helpful because I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the good stuff's in God. All of it, to the max, like in every part. God's intention and his care for you is way more than getting you to heaven when you die. He's going to do that because he's eternal and you're connected to him. But he came to give you your life back, the life that he actually created and wants, uh, wants you to have. In fact, he wants the whole world to have it. And the other part of this story is that the way that the world actually gets it is by watching communities of people who have life to the max. They're like, tell me again what you're tasting that's better, that's good. Yeah, see, that's, that's, the, that's the story we find ourselves in, and it's a good one, okay? Let's pray. Lord, I love this community of people uh, who come together regularly Um, because they want a rich and satisfying life in God. Thank you that Jesus has come to redeem all things, not just the afterlife, but the life that we're in, the moments that are coming next, ones after that. Thank you that your power is so big and your heart and intentions are so great and what you've done in Jesus is so incredible that you say this is actually going to happen that you're going to redeem the whole world and everything in it. Um, Thank you that this is our hope. Help us to get on track with you, just participating with you, being full participants in the full experience of our salvation, even when things are hard. um, May our faith grow. May we be the kind of community that can help each other with this. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Go in the grace of God, and if Dan calls me next Saturday, I'll be back Sunday. (laughs) See ya.